calm inside. It gives us peace. And I'm hoping this song will speak to those of you who have lost loved ones um, in the last few weeks and months and uh, that we can rest in Jesus. Coming, we wait. 
sky, not the grave, is our goal. Oh, trump of the angel, oh, voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed hope of my soul. picture of an airplane right there flying along. As an addendum to my brother's story, he is um, the director of operations for um, Air, Flight, Air Flight Northwest or whatever the air ambulance is out of Anchorage, Alaska these days. And so he and his family live up in Anchorage. Um, the client for the, his company is um, the, the hospital up there, I think Providence Hospital or whatever it is. Anyway, he has had a lot of Alaskan aviation stories over the years. It's pretty, pretty amazing. It's good to be with you. Happy Sabbath. Welcome to each of you as well as those who are watching online, and as we're going through three sermons, and this is the second one dealing with John chapter 16, and it's just a beautiful uh, presentation of God wanting us to understand what it is that the Holy Spirit is actively doing for us today. So bow your heads with me as we just have a quick word of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, our dear friend and Savior, speak to our hearts today. Move us to the attitude of surrender 
so that you might do all that you wish in your plans and your purposes for our life. For every breath is precious and every moment is golden. So reign fully and hide me behind the beauty of your cross. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with reading to you a beautiful psalm by King David. And we're going to do a bit of a Bible study today. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along or write down these scriptures, we're going to be writing down some really powerful scriptures as it relates to the righteousness of God. So you can write these down. But this scripture here I want to begin with just as an opener and as a closer today, Psalms 71. Psalms 71, starting with verse 15 through 19. And here's what King David said. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things, who, O God, is like you. Today we're going to look at several passages that power punch the theme of Christ's righteousness, and I hope that you're able to follow along as we go through this Bible study this morning. We're going to begin in the book of Luke. We're going to begin in the book of Luke with the words of Jesus as he's telling the Pharisees some very interesting things as it relates to righteousness, things that we ourselves need to hear. So Luke chapter 18, we pick up the story in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So right off the get-go, you get the stage built for the story going to be told. They were looking to their own righteousness, and when we look to our own righteousness, something begins to happen to us internally. We begin to look down on other people. And so Jesus then told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, of course, instantly in their minds, they know who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. It's really clear because they're Pharisees. They're part of the good guys. And those tax collectors, why, there's no one worse in the country than someone who collects your taxes. Come on, there's got to be an amen out there somewhere. (laughs) The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. And then, of course, in verse 12, the Pharisee had to even remind God 
or maybe remind those who might be listening to the prayer. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. And then Jesus changes the picture and then it talks now about the tax collector. And he says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so far, the story is exactly the way they would understand it. The listener was saying to themselves, wow, this story fits perfectly. The motif and the idea of the, the good guy and the bad guy, the sinner. He knows he's a sinner. And then verse 14, the hammer drops. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who hum exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, it isn't a new problem, dear family. Man and his religion have always tried to make it about himself and not about the divine. Man's religion puts down others, puffs up and strong, the strong-willed. It has this attitude that I can do it, just try harder. And Jesus turned it all around and exalted the one who truly saw his sin and filth in his own life and sought God fully and not the will of his own power. The power for each of us in our Christian walk is and will always be the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. And we, we covered that last week pretty extensively. It, it appears that religious groups are separating the Spirit's work, of course, from the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit does one thing, and Jesus taught and did a, something else. They had two independent ministries, in a sense. And we, we notice in the circles of Christianity, wide variations of the way people interpret and use the concepts of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible makes it clear, Jesus said, he will bring glory to me and taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Known is the concept of understanding Jesus better. So the Holy Spirit's purpose is for you and I to understand the work, the function, and the reality of Jesus better, more conviction, more devotion. He will bring glory to me, Jesus said. The work and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not to bring glory to anyone but Jesus. And this is a clear teaching throughout God's Word regarding the Trinity. Jesus is the focus and the attention of the Holy Spirit. And really, it is, it is essentially, I mean, we can intellectually know some things about religion, but it's essentially impossible for us to even intimately know Christ apart from the regenerating ministry of the Holy Spirit. Without that function, it just becomes an encyclopedia of religion. And it's very important that the connection between us and Jesus is there with the power, the presence, and the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul, now we're going to get into some Bible study, we're going to first turn to the book of Romans because Paul talks quite a bit about the Holy Spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, he, he, he spends a whole chapter here talking about life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he gets to this kind of conclusion that's almost like, really, Paul? It's, it's, it's that important? It's so critical that I can't even know how to pray without the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's right. Romans chapter 8, verse 20, 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with, with groans that words cannot express. And he searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Amen. In John chapter 3, verse 5, the, Jesus says that, that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who fills one's life with the qualities of Jesus. So, so the Holy Spirit helps us even communicate to Jesus. The Holy Spirit connects us with the characteristics of Jesus. And of course, we all know the characteristics of Jesus, right? We all ought to have those characteristics as the Holy Spirit fills us. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. These are the characteristics of the fruits. You, you know, um, when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that's different for every person. The Bible even says that God, the Holy Spirit, decides which gift he's going to give to each person. So don't tell me you're not gifted. You, you and I each have gifts. It's some people have latent gifts, some people have ignored gifts, but the Holy Spirit gifts every one of us. And what, what, the, what the, the, the fun part of the Christian walk is to wake up and say, God, use me and expand your gifts in my life. So, so as the Holy Spirit then, then gives these gifts, but every one of us then ought to e examine the, the fruits of the Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to allow us to live out those fruits that are so foundational to who Jesus is. Once again, let's turn in the core text of our study to, to John 15, because John, 15 is, John 16 is the text of our study today. And here Jesus is preparing to lead the disciples. Now, at SeaTac International Airport, there's the upper deck and there's the lower deck. If you get left off on the lower deck, the hugs are seen with tears. That's the goodbye deck. If you get if you get if you're at the lower deck, the hugs are all smiles because that's the deck where you get to receive and get people back. Oh, I love seeing people on the lower deck. In fact, there's times I don't even want to go to the upper deck. I like to be delivered at the lower deck because it's a lot more joyful on the lower deck. 
Jesus was going to leave his disciples. And there was a sense of mourning. Uh, You know, John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. I mean, these guys were hurting over this concept that he would be leaving them. And so he, he says these things with compassion in his voice. And verse five, verse 5 of chapter, of chapter 16, it's very clear. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me where I am going because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. So it's very clear that, that they, Jesus recognizes with compassion the sorrow the disciples are, are experiencing. And what we talked about last week is the idea that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is convicts us of sin. So here's, this, here's the text right here. It's um, verse, verse 8. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world guilty in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, and we talked about that last week. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And as we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit wants to convict us of sin. He doesn't want to just make us aware of sin. He doesn't want us to just have information about sin. He wants us to be convicted of sin. Knowing with certainty and believing fully that the truth of righteousness is completely in Jesus. The Bible says in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father. Now what is packed within this little sentence makes all the difference in the way Father God sees us and how we see Him. And it also determines what kind of engine you have behind your actions. There's a lot of people in the Christian world who are just kind of coasting down their spiritual road, not depending on the engine of the Holy Spirit. And you know, when, you, when you're on an incline and, and life is ahead of you and everything is just going fine, you know, you don't need much of an engine. In fact, you don't need an engine at all. But when you hit an incline or that you're descending down, when you hit an incline and you're going up, you need an engine. When life gets hard, when difficulties surmount, when, 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 when doors are shut in your life, when people are taken away from you, you need an engine to survive that. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, bringing conviction, particularly regarding righteousness that is directly connected to Jesus being with his heavenly Father. Now, so let's kind of dissect this for a second and try to make sense of what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples. He says the the key word here is righteousness. Holy Spirit's going to make clarity and conviction about righteousness when I go to the Father. Now, we know that the word righteousness and holiness can be kind of an interchangeable word structure. And righteousness and holiness are conditions we do not possess. The Bible has gone out of its way to make sure we understand that. And of course, that's what we talked about last week, the concept of conviction of sin. 
The Bible says everyone, who is, everyone has turned away and become corrupt. The Bible says I've kept my heart, uh, my heart pure, I clean. Um, who can say that? Who can say I've kept my heart pure? We all like sheep have gone astray. All of us become like one unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So first, the Holy Spirit convicts us uh, that, that we are in a desperate situation in the condition of our sin. And by the way, it also lets us know that sin is not just an action. In sin is a belief. Sin is denying who Jesus is. That's what sin is. Once you arrive at that, everything else of sin flows out from there. Sin, when we walk away from Jesus, when we stop believing in Jesus, it's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt every single one of us. And I heard a saying years ago that I've said from this pulpit already Many, many times, and I'll probably say it many more times until it rubs into every one of our hearts and I, uh, minds, and that is that God hates sin because it hurts the sinner he loves, right? He doesn't hate sin because he wants to take fun away from us. He hates sin because it hurts the sinner he loves. One thing you cannot do, dear family is we cannot excuse sin. We can't hide sin. We can't compromise, even justify sin. It doesn't matter what the world says about sin. The only thing that matters is what the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit says about sin. Once the Holy Spirit convicts the sinner of sin, the Holy Spirit then moves in on us to show us the righteousness of Christ. Only in the Christian faith are we taught that we cannot on our own reach righteousness or holiness. The chasm is too vast, too broad. I mean, I mean think of it kind of like this. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon before? You know, a mile down, right? Huge, huge. So let's say one day you walk up to the Grand Canyon, there's a guy, my father-in-law's age, 89 years old, and he's standing there, and he picks up another rock, and he throws it in. And you're sitting there saying, hey, young man, what are you doing? And let's just say, for the sake of our illustration, he said, well, 50 years ago, some man challenged me to fill up this hole, and I'm going to do it. I know you're not, old man. You're not going to do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. Did you know that the qualifications for salvation is perfect? Perfection. Are you aware of that? It's perfection. And guess what? You're not going to be able to get there. Righteousness and holiness belongs to God and God alone. And I've met Christians 
who are doing their very best to somehow try to throw those rocks into the canvas, thinking somehow that they can work hard enough, be more diligent, so somehow they can wake up and say, I've done it! I've done it! I'm sinless! I've completed everything I need to do. Listen, it won't happen. It can't happen. But only with the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, can we be counted righteous. We ourselves cannot do it. Trying to obtain heaven via our own righteous acts and holy conduct is impossible. It doesn't matter what your diet is, your worship style, your religious formalities, thinking and teaching that somehow you have the ability to get there on your own is like the old man trying to throw a rock into the Grand Canyon to fill it up. Trying to obtain heaven via our righteous acts and holy conduct will not work. But there is a truth that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand. There is a truth about righteousness that he wants to bring conviction on us today, dear family. That earning righteousness through righteous acts is not God's way, it is man's way. And before I get too, anyone too uptight, let me say, righteous acts are good, good works are good, but nothing that we do that is good is what got us into heaven at the end of the day. It's all about the life, the death, and the resurrection of one man, Jesus Christ. There's a small little book, book one of Selected Messages. It was written years ago, 1900s, by a little lady, Ellen G. White. She wrote the book Steps to Christ as well. But listen to what she says here. The only way in which the sinner can obtain to righteousness is through faith. By faith he can bring to God the merits of Christ. And the Lord places the obedience of his son to the sinner's account. Christ's righteousness is accepted in place of man's failure. You see, it's not so much as one... I've heard one pastor say, it's not so much that I'm concerned about what God the Father thinks of me. It's what the God the Father thinks of his son. Because it's his son's account. His son's perfect holy history account that belongs to me by faith. There's a couple of scriptures I want to spit out real quick. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And finally, Matthew 6, 33, which we all know, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All the righteousness necessary for our complete salvation is wrapped up in one person. The perfect life becomes our perfect life. His death becomes our death. The holy history of Christ now becomes the lawful history of my history. That's what it means when it says you are in Christ. You are in Christ. 
You were buried with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. You were resurrected with Christ. And when Jesus comes again, because of his holy history, you will be redeemed in Christ for eternity. And you will never be able to look back and say, I'm here in heaven because of something I did back there. Except for saying, I, like that tax collector of long ago, declared I was filthy and I needed cleansing. And I came to Jesus and he offered forgiveness. And then he offered me his righteousness. Wow. And by the way, it's really super important for those of you who don't understand this correctly. God doesn't save people in the Old Testament and the New Testament differently. When you get to heaven and you meet Moses, when you get to heaven and you meet Daniel, when you get to heaven and you meet Methuselah, when you get to heaven and you ask these people, hey, how did you get here? Not a one of them is going to say, I got here because I was good. Not a one of them is going to say, I got here because I did what was right. They're going to point to a cross they never saw. They're going to be able to meet Jesus, the one who died for them. There's only one salvation in the Bible. Only one salvation is through Jesus Christ in time immemorial. Now back to our original question posed earlier. What conviction do we need regarding righteousness that is directly connected to Jesus being with his Father in heaven? You see, when Jesus rose from the dead and then left this planet to be with the Father God, Jesus began a ministry in heaven. He began a ministry that directly affects you and I today. And we know that because the Bible tells us that. Let's look at that. The Bible tells us, and we go back to Romans 8 because we were there earlier, Paul confidently taught the Romans in 8.34 that Jesus is even now at the right hand of God interceding for us. What is he interceding? His righteousness on our behalf. Any Christian who comes, whether they're in their own pool of cesspool of, of vomit, whether they're on their last leg of desperate hope, it doesn't matter where they're at, what they've done, if they come to Jesus, he intercedes for them. That's why I always say, when it comes to salvation, you always start at the finish line. Amen? You start at the finish line. There's nothing more you can do. When you accept Jesus, you've accepted all of his holy history. You start at the finish line. Then what happens is as he begins to influence you through his spirit, through the power of his gifts and through the power of his fruits, your life begins to emulate more of the Christ that has saved you. But that emulation is not what is saving you. It's just the, it's the outpouring that God, when he comes in contact with a human being, doesn't want to leave the human being like that human being will be. But God wants to lift that human being up. He wants to give that human being dignity, values, morals, a longing, and a purpose to speak the kingdom of heaven, to, to usher forth forgiveness to the offended one, to, to love those who are hurting and despised. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's what, what God does. Of course, another scripture that is a very important one, it's almost like the, the golden text that connects John 16 with Hebrews 7.25. It says, therefore, 
speaking of Jesus' heavenly ministry, therefore he is, this is Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save the sinner completely, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. This intercession is the application of his righteousness to our empty, bankrupt accounts. So if you have your Bibles, turn to one of the most important texts in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What does Jesus mean to you? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Here's how Paul would say it. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Remember we talked about that, in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God. And then he begins to delineate what Jesus has become for us. That is, Jesus has become our righteousness. Jesus has become our holiness. And Jesus has become our redemption. No wonder he would conclude that by saying, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because we have nothing to bring to the table, family. We have nothing to bring. But a heart that can be surrendered and let Jesus do something powerful in our life. You see, we do not run in competition with his righteousness. So I've met Christians who think that, oh man, now that I'm a Christian, I've been the Christian for five years, six years, ten years, and why, why, why am I still having struggles here and, and, and struggles there? What's happening? I should be more, I should be more perfect. I should be more uh, refined. The reality is that we live on a troubled world with a deceitful heart. And the temptations sometimes are very overwhelming. And the struggle is very real. And there will be a day, dear family, where we will be glorified. Where we will no longer have the temptations. Where we will no longer have these things that we struggle with. But when it comes to the fact that I want to live my life for Jesus. And I want to be saved. Every step forward, I I walk. Now, follow me. Every step I walk closer in character to Jesus means nothing about what he did for me back there when he saved me by his grace. Does nothing. What he did for me back here when I was a worn out, desperate sinner, I'm already at the finish line. All I'm doing is what his spirit is doing is he's refining me. So that something of Jesus starts coming out of my life, not because I'm generating it, but because I'm surrendered to a God that's big enough to do something good with even somebody like me. That's what Jesus does. He wants to take each one of us and make us into a shining diamond. Not because you're good. No, not at all. It's because he's good, and he wants his light to shine out of you. Kind of like, kind of like the moon, right? The moon has no light. But you let the sun shine in darkness, and it has a lot of light. A lot of light. From that lonely cradle in Bethlehem, 
to that forsaken cross on Golgotha's hill, Jesus lived a perfect life with the express purpose to give it to you and to me. Wow. Salvation in the kingdom of heaven requires perfection. And I'll just never get there from there. But Jesus got it. Because he never sinned, the Bible said, amen? Now, now let's cover something real quickly here. I don't know if I've covered this before, but it's important to just remember. Temptation is not a sin. Because Jesus was tempted. When you're tempted, it's not because you're sinning. Temptation is what the enemy just does. But Jesus never sinned. He is pure and holy. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and if you haven't memorized this verse, man, make it your memory verse for the rest of this year. Paul lays it out about as clear as anybody can lay it out in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Unbelievable. What an exchange. All my filth, all my failures are laid upon Jesus at the cross. And in exchange, he gives me his perfect life, which gives me the golden ticket for salvation. What a Savior. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, clear back here, justified at the finish line, fully, completely justified, by justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That was Titus 3, 4 through 7. The Holy Spirit would convict us the world of sin and of righteousness. I want more and more of the conviction of God's righteousness. I don't want ever in my smallest little thought process to ever think or ever have the seed planted that something good that I have done will somehow reward me salvation. For nothing I can do will ever reward me salvation. Except to accept the righteousness of Jesus by faith. From first to last, by faith. And so I want to close with what I opened up with. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. 
I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things, who, O God, is like you. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this wonderful song that just cements the sermon. Lord, I come to you. you let my heart be changed, renewed, flowing from the
Gracious Lord God, how can we even begin to thank you for such a gift? We recognize, dear Lord, we're very aware of how tender and broken we are. We're very aware how fragile our world is. We see the enemy's work all around us, and we're very aware of it. But Lord God, through the power of your Spirit, make us aware of your work and your righteousness in our life. Make us, dear Lord, each day that we can think about just what you're doing in our life and how you are blessing and how you are providing and how you are breaking chains that we can't even begin to break. Dear Lord Jesus, set our minds on things above it's so easy to set our minds on the things of this world and, and let it cause this, this de human depression and, and anxiety. But, oh, Lord, you have called us to such a better life because in your righteousness we are freed. In your righteousness we have hope. We have a future. We have eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for when you left that you did not abandon us, but you gave us the Holy Spirit to remind us of your power and the potential of your purposes. Lord Jesus, you're amazing God. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you. So now may the, may the love of God and the, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us both now and forevermore, we pray. Amen.